Welcome to episode three of Underexposure, a podcast for creatives by creatives, hosted by Ian Harrington, Manny Aqua, hey. and me, Carrie Helton. So as professional creatives, at some point in your career and our careers, we have to deal with our clients. And that can be a very positive experience or that can be a very negative experience depending on lots of variables and depending on you as a professional creative. So Ian, Manny and myself uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about some of our really great experiences with clients and some of our not so good experiences with clients and you know processes and, and things that we've put in place uh, to make that process go a little smoother uh, with clients. So yeah, I mean, I know I've had some some just bad, <laughs> bad encounters with clients, you know, uh, bad experiences, uh, some really positive experiences too, though. You know, I've, there, there are some clients that, you know, if I contact them or they contact me, I, I will pick up that phone any time of day, uh, to, to take a job with that client. But, um, Ian, have, have you had, yeah, I, I think that's something that certainly is, a. A misconception when you go to you know form your own business or, or do your own thing is that all of a sudden you're gonna be getting like the best clients and even with like what we'll touch on like sometimes the best plans you, you still gotta cut through the the shit a little bit to get to the gold like you're gonna be faced with these um, these clients that have a different mentality of how they want to get the job completed and um, I think this is a really great subject because like Carrie's mentioning, you're, you're going to face this if you're going to become professional in whatever career, you know, creative, you know, you got to get paid. Yeah. It's part of the growth ladder. Yeah. Someone's sure. got to pay you. So lots of, lots of cool stuff to talk about. And that that's one of the biggest struggles in the beginning is that as, as you move along in your career, you kind of get you kind of have the opportunity to pick and choose who you work with uh, based on what criterion you have for, you know, good clients or um, based on your connections and contacts and, and the way the ways you get to those clients. But when you're first starting out, you don't have a ton of options, you know, especially if you're if you're trying to make a living and you're trying to get paid for what you're doing, you almost have to take what you can get. Um, but I think personally and you know from my experience in doing this i think that's a vital period where you learn a lot about you know who you want to be in in your in your profession uh and what your expectations are of clients that you take on um but it's yeah the, in the beginning there are some some not so great clients maybe uh that that you know if you want to get paid for that work you have to take on Definitely. So what what are what are some things that you think we should consider when evaluating that first client, Carrie? So, you know, and like you said, Manny, evaluating that client that I think that's something in the beginning I didn't do a lot of. Right. It was it. It was like, oh, you yeah. want to work with me? That's You're awesome. going to pay me to do what? Like, well, let's go. Work let's together. go. You, you want to jump into it right away, right? <laughs> yeah, man. I wasn't worried about uh, evaluating a client. You know, I was I was worried about getting that job booked and, and you know, making an awesome end product and then getting paid for it. Getting that um, dough. <laughs> yeah, getting that money, bro. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, just just researching a little bit uh, about the client, you know, I think is a, is a great first step. Um, who are they? 
are they a are they a product or a service-based client uh you know what kind of relationship do they have um with their audience and their customers um i think those are great initial things uh to to kind of explore when you're first evaluating yeah totally you, you got to look at the the background of who you're going to work for um and you know like we're saying when you first start maybe you don't have those choices but doing that little bit of research is probably going to save you quite a bit of headache that you can avoid even if it's not the greatest client i think there's a there's a difference between a unwell paid uh, um, a gig where you're not going to get paid well and a bad client right like it, it's not we're not talking about a bad client equating to less money because you can get a really good gig and not get paid a lot dependent on what you're looking to do we're talking about you know people that maybe don't respect your craft don't respect your time what what else you know there, there's so much stuff i feel i feel like we've been yeah like bad clients good clients i feel like we've been saying bad clients and good clients but at the same time uh you've i think you've mentioned this before ian that it's not necessarily a bad client or a good client right it's how we how we kind of take that client in the beginning like that opportunity and how we mold it so you were telling me a, a little bit more about this can, can you yeah i think you're you're right it's like molding is a really good um analogy because we just want to label right away like we're just labeling immediately right but it's not it's not a bad client necessarily like you have the opportunity if you if you can get a client that is in a subject matter that you like and they're willing to pay you i think already you've established that this could possibly be a good client right like you enjoy the subject matter you see eye to eye that payment will be made for your services what you're now faced with doing is almost you know molding that person into or or brand into somebody that's going to be or a relationship that's going to be mutually beneficial and i think all, when I when I think about my bad clients, right, or my nightmare clients, is as hard as it is to do sometimes, I can attribute everything that made that person a bad client or a nightmare client back to something I did or didn't do with that client, right? So in terms of, like you're saying, molding that client, if if there are things that start to go off the rails with the relationship between you and the client or something about the job that is amiss, I, I've always been able to point back to a, a, something I did or didn't do with that client. And most times it's didn't do, right? I didn't put a parameter in place to prevent this thing from going off the rails or I didn't communicate well enough with the client to make them understand the value of my time um, or something of that nature, right? So again, I, I totally agree. It's all about kind of molding the relationship with that client, uh, but there are things that you have to do in order to ensure that this is gonna be a successful venture with a client. And there are things that we have to do to actually get those clients. So it's like, how do we how do we get those clients right. and I, first? I was kind of leading to um, what we were talking about the other day and this like law of attraction kind of mindset where right. if you, you're putting out usually what you're going to get back. And I don't mean that in the sense of necessarily the law of attraction. I'm, I'm talking about what we're talking about here in the in clients and um, what if you're putting out good work 
you're probably going to attract yeah you're you're going to it's like creative karma like you're going to attract yeah. somebody that likes good work so it's it it's all rounded in what we're saying already that it comes back to you it when we say good client versus bad client it's not like they're an enemy uh but they're their result is based off of of you as well. It's an internal thing that you got to work on and to get those good clients. Yeah, and c consistently putting out the type of work that those clients are looking for. You know, so I guess it really is. You kind of have to start with what what does your ideal client look like, right? What what kind of clients are you after? Um, are you going after really polished brand? you know, lifestyle driven clients? Are you going after a corporate conference, you know, type of client? What does your ideal client look like, right? And then you can start tailoring the creative output to kind of match what they might be looking for. Um, so if you are going after that lifestyle brand client, the more work that you can tailor to what they're looking for and the more consistently you can put it out and then try to get that work in front of them the the better your odds are going to be for landing that client yeah and that also um like to touch on your point it's like producing some spec work just like instead of instead of always just working for clients or just doing the paid work how about we get together creatively and and produce something some good spec work that could land bigger clients or that can actually land a big campaign project that you know gets us all paid so to say yeah yeah As aspirational yeah, aspirational work. work inspirational and aspirational yeah because you're right like you're not going to start off shooting things for like nike you know it's just that's just not how it works <laughs> but if you put out those efforts and that that creative karma into the world like hey i can make this and i didn't get paid you may get hit up later on by somebody else that wants to hire you then for those services um you know again just putting out what you want to get back and also that's what i was thinking of not not taking jobs that you know you're not going to enjoy that's really easy to say but it, i think it relates back to this concept of like creating the nightmare client. You do not like going, if you don't like going to work, you're going to hate your boss. But if you love the things that you're doing, you're going to love the people you interact with. So be really, while take things as they can when you're first starting, be really careful at what niche you put yourself in because you're now making, you're, you're, you're creating your work for you. Um, and, and that can be dangerous. And I'm, I'm a big fan of chasing the opportunity too, right? Like my, I've, I've got a sales background. So if there's an opportunity somewhere, it's, it's hard for me not to capitalize or execute on that opportunity because that's just kind of my conditioning. Um, so that's something I've had to work really hard on is to not jump at the opportunity if, if it's not congruent with what I want for myself professionally, right? The, the ability to say no and, and learning how to say no in a way that, yeah, respectfully, tactfully, professionally, in a way that's not going to damage the relationship that I've come to build with that person, right? Because it, at the end of the day, in my opinion, and people feel different 
you know, differently about how they interact with clients. But for me, and especially with a sales background from correspondence one, I am trying to build a relationship with that person. And the stronger that relationship is, you know, the more kind of, uh, room to maneuver and to execute that I have in my opinion. Right. So I want, if I'm going to say no to that person, I want to do it in a way that isn't going to damage that relationship that I've been working to build because there may be an opportunity in the future that is congruent, that I am totally open to work with them on or, or whatever, or they may be able to refer me to a person who is, who is my ideal client. So again, you know, it's, it's about, um, recognizing those opportunities, but if it's an opportunity that doesn't work for you necessarily, knowing how to say no in a way that's not going to damage the relationship. Yeah. Don't just ever like tell someone to fuck off. Right. Don't burn bridges. Like, no guys don't burn bridges. Like, Oh, you don't want to work with me. Well, fuck you. (laughs) Like, no, (laughs) no, that's not the way like do learn, learn communication skills and, and learn to, to be practice that professional and respectful tone. And, and it could be a respectful decline. Like, you know, this isn't a good fit for me. Uh, and you deserve someone that, that could be a perfect fit for you, you know? And I'd like to chase that down the rabbit hole a little bit, Manny. So why, why do you think somebody would react that way? To like, to what? like, to, you know, if, if somebody, if somebody was, you know, if there was an opportunity and the client either was, you know, uh, for whatever reason, they weren't, they didn't align with this project and they were like, you know, they, they, the creative was ready to burn the bridge. Mm-hmm. Right. If they were like, nah, fuck you or whatever. Why do you think that would happen? Does that mean the, there's, the, there's a lot, the re- there's a lot of, uh, things yeah. that could happen. It, it could be, they're disrespectful about like, they're not even respect, respecting your craft. There could be, there's right. a lot. I mean, you guys add to that. I mean, what, what yeah, else could there I, be? I would say it's, you know, more, more fear-based, you know, not, not having this mindset of what Carrie is saying of like building a relationship, right? You're, you're, you're just looking at your client as a means to an end of like, the transaction, like, a right. Transaction. Like these are, these gotcha. are people too. And relationships need to be you know, molded. And if you, even if you don't enjoy a relationship, you're a professional. And at that, at that point, you can then either pass it on to somebody else, which I think we've mentioned before, that's a pro move right there. Like you pass work on, you're not getting paid, but you've, you're going to get paid back later in the sense of like, whoever you referred that to, whatever, It, it just looks so much better than even saying like, not interested you know that it's like of course you're not interested you're shooting like pictures of a fucking trash can or something like sorry this bores the (laughs) shit out of me but i know a guy that's great at shooting trash cans and has (laughs) has anyone has anyone had that happen to where like you decline you respectfully decline someone and then like they came back months later saying hey you know what we can let's work or something like that definitely that's another outcome that happens where like they've you've actually put yourself into like a higher position by saying no and they've you've gained more respect and so they're like well this guy has a standard you know it's like that honor code and they are not gonna go below that standard and you know all right he's probably worth his his salt like give him the money you know and 
jumping back to what Manny was saying a second ago, I believe Manny, the, the reason why people might get fired up like that is because they take it, they take it personally. You know, they, it's they, just business for whatever. <laughs> yeah, man. For whatever reason, they feel like either offended or attacked, you know, by an action from a client or uh, a comment or, or whatever. And they, they take that personally. And again, what, we've talked about before is, you know, as a professional, you have to understand that this is a, a business relationship. You know, they're, they're not attacking you personally. They're whatever it is, it has to do with your business and not with you as an, as an individual. Right. So if you, if you have an issue where you find yourself burning bridges, a lot of times do a quick evaluation and, and check to see if, am I taking this to heart, you know, am I taking these things personally? And and if you are, you know, maybe try to start creating some separation there so that you can detach a little bit and, and kind of keep the, the emotional response out of the equation. Um, but again, hallmarks of a professional, right? Yeah, because that, that can definitely tear, tear the business down quickly if you cling on to those emotions and bring them on to that aspect of your of your life you know business and personal yeah, gotta be separate i think it's aligned with you know that mindset we were saying before are you ready to take on high level clients like you need to be looking at yourself and your business and your creative abilities before you even get out there and say i'm i'm ready to do this work because people are out there ready to give you the money but you need to be ready to fulfill their needs because if, if the good clients work with the pros, yeah, right? like they're they're out there and the bad clients work with the you know not so pro yet but I, or, and that's not true all the times so, you know like i've definitely had experiences where i've worked with clients that ended up not being my ideal fit and that i think strengthened my abilities like we were saying before to negotiate or work my way out of a situation or you know tie up a budget, there's definitely some advantages to dealing with those bad clients. But the overall goal is to, you know, migrate to only working with good clients um, for the rest of your career, because that's what, you know, makes it a career. That in a perfect world is like the best way to say it, right? Like, yeah, let's only work with good clients. But how, how, how to avoid the bad clients? Well, make the bad clients avoid you think, act, and speak as a professional. You know, this can actually make bad clients avoid you and you enter the pro realm. So it's like, let me, how do I, how do I only attract the, the good clients, so to say, as I mentioned, you know? And, and Manny, we can even, so if, if we can create bad clients, which we can do, you know, we, we can take a, a pers perspective like good client and based on the way we handle that client can turn them into a nightmare client or leave openings for them to to become a nightmare client by you know not putting processes and procedures in place to make sure the transaction runs smoothly it but if that's true then i believe it's also true that we can take a bad client and with the processes that we implement turn them into a good client right or 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 at least put the put the boundaries in place to, to keep them into being a, a manageable client, if not a, a great client. 
Right. Like having at least a set process for the actual client discovery phase, right? That's how like you your your filtration system or as some people would call it, um, that you need that in place to to weed those out. Yeah, and, and they'll 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 weed themselves out. You know, if they can't if they can't comply with your processes or if your pricing is out of their range, they'll they will go away. They'll find somebody else who is more flexible in those areas or who charges less and chances are the quality, you know, it's not going to be your work, right? It's going to be somebody else's. So, um, but to your point, Manny, they'll filter themselves out too. And there's also good tips. I was researching online, like how to avoid bad clients and get a little more insight on this. And I, I, came across Chris, the Chris do on Instagram, and he has a good post where he talks about like seven steps of avoiding how to avoid bad clients. And he mentioned like, the avoid the commitment phobic, which is like the, the person, the client that has the phobia towards commitment. And it's like when you ask for the 50% up front, and then there's a silence, right? It's just like, come on, man, just right, right then and there signal, tink, 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 right? There's another one. Uh, when they mention work as like belittling descriptors, so example, like it's just or it's something simple, you know, a quick photo shoot. It's not hard or something like that. You know, that's also another sign where you're 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 leaning towards a bad client. Right. What about the promiser? Bartering for the low price, always the promiser. I can get you exposure, future opportunities. Hey, I can get you some referrals. It's so what sad how those? many times I've heard of like all of those people, <laughs> which is crazy because they also, definitely run in a circle. Yeah, it's just it's ongoing. And there's this the the flatterer, right? He compliments your expertise. It's like, oh, your work is so great. This and that. I love the way you do this. But when it comes down to business, he dismisses your thoughts or everything you got to say. Yeah. One last one off no, those for points. It. It's the family guy, the incredibly talented family. Oh yeah, I know someone who would do it for less. You know, it's like, <laughs> man, stop, get out of here with your bullshit. Oh my god, that's imp- those are all great signs. You know what I mean? Yeah, those are definitely. I mean, just you know, I feel like one of those important ones was the, um, uh, the promiser. Was it the promiser? Yeah, like yeah. You, the barter. The barter or. When, when you get to a level that you're dealing with a professional client, you're now not only selling your skills creatively, but all those processes we talked about. And one of those would be, like we're saying, filtering them out through a, some kind of form, you know, on your website or whatever. But the other, like more in-depth uh, details are those proposals and the contracts, because if you you know, get the inkling that somebody's not ready to sign a contract or that there may not be on the same level of professionality as you are as a client, you have to have those things like succinct on your end to protect you. And that may not be a super creative thing for, you know, people in this world, but it's, it's really vital to protect yourself and also, you know, make sure that those interactions are protected. And that, that proposal is the primary tool that will allow you to combat all of all seven of those, you know, things that you were just talking about, Manny, that is your, that is your ultimate filter, right? That for, for a specific client to ensure that they are a good client, right? Or, or, or a good fit for you as a creative professional. And that proposal 
it, it's on us again, though, as professional creatives to make sure that we hit all of the high points in that proposal that are going to protect us, you know, as creatives and, and make sure that that client's a good fit. Yeah, because you're going to get people, I think, that just say some things and then when it comes to action, they behave a completely different way. Um, and that proposal protects you from coming to that point because you've laid out exactly what's going to be fulfilled, how it's going to be fulfilled, who's going to get paid, hopefully a timeline, and then you're going to both sign on it and, you know, your word is bond. And, you know, I would look into legal professionals looking into whatever you create contract wise, not your proposal, but there are some really great uh, proposal uh, templates out there, which will um, certainly filter out uh, bad or not as professional clients. You know, having that proposal laid out again is, is going to protect you from basically all of those variables that could be little windows that are left open to where the nightmare client can kind of sneak in. So that that proposal is going to protect you upfront from all of those variables. And then the contract writes it in stone. So you, you and the client have agreed to those, those parameters um, and those deliverables, that scope of work, all of these things that you've covered in, in the proposal and now the contract and those protect you as the professional. And it gives the client clear expectations of what you're going to provide, you know, what service you're providing, what items, what finished products you're going to deliver. Right. And, um, that also, that also protects you in the future. So th this is a situation I know we've all encountered and, you know, as a creative things change sometimes with how the client views the work or how you're viewing the work as, as you're creating it. And, you know, down the line, say they want a different edit of a video, for instance, and instead of this one long video, they want that, but they'd also like you to break it down into three 30 second videos too, right? And something quick and easy, right? Just, <laughs> oh, it's real easy. It'd only take a second, you know, but honestly, you know, it, it wasn't covered in the in the proposal it's not in the contract and instead of you having to be the asshole that's like uh well i mean i could do that but i'm gonna have to charge you this you know this x additional amount for that and you know it's going to take a couple of days instead of you having to do all that you know explaining and kind of catering to that client you can simply refer back to the proposal and the contract and say hey you know this actually wasn't a part of our proposal and it and it wasn't in the contract so if if you let me I'll drop a you know a a quick a, amendment to that or whatever and then you're you're protected right so you don't have to be the asshole you can point back at the process and be like we didn't cover that um right. so you know I can I can shoot you a quote on what that'll cost. You know, it, it won't be a, a major deal. We can definitely get it handled over the course of the next couple of weeks. But, you know, you're protected, right? Yeah. And clients, uh, not clients, creatives at an amateur stage or when starting out were very, I mean, even myself, it was like you're very looking at contracts and, and talking about contracts like there's some taboo or some crazy thing that it's like oh if i send that to my client they're gonna like freak out you know or they're like 
I shouldn't do that. It's like, no, man, you need to protect yourself because there's people out there that that are there's not everyone. Right. But there are people out there that can do harm legally and put you put yourself you can put yourself in a, in a bigger hole just because you weren't prepared and you're putting you have to do the leg work prior. That's what Carrie's saying. You know, if you put that extra leg work in, you will be way better set in a situation like this. And how does that affect the optics of you as a creative professional? You know, if you're working with a client and you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants throughout the course of the transaction, how how much better does it look for you to fire off a proposal to that client within the first you know few interactions that you have with them? They're going to look at you as okay. This guy isn't playing you know playing around. He has a a grasp of his craft and you know his field and he's going to execute well if you tighten up your proposal it's it's such a good advantage of even being like that's what i wanted to ask it's like what 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 do they have what does the proposal have walk us through real quick i'd say like you know your your proposal even as a amateur or somebody just starting off can elevate the level of how you're perceived like you can actually not be, you know, quote unquote, as good as you say you are compared to what you show on paper. And if you look organized, I think one of the big things is communication that we're talking about. If you can, you know, write well, and by that, I mean, take your idea and put it onto paper and transmit that to somebody so that they get your idea that that's a skill in itself just to do that and it can land you that bigger client because hell i mean if you can do that you you more than likely can make some kind of video or you know other digital asset it's all about exchanging of ideas so i think you know having an organized proposal with strong language you know make sure you're using proper grammar it it sounds so silly in the creative world but like you know, maybe these aren't creatives too. Maybe you're working with corporate level people and they, they really look at that. And then numbers, I think, be really cognizant of what, how your numbers align. We, I, I, this could be a whole other podcast just talking about that, like dollar amounts, you know, making sure they, it looks clean and like the layout. I'm not a design person. I'm, you know, I know Carrie has that background and Manny with photography and in the sense of how those line up into your your proposal, those are also vital. Like there's a style in, in your proposal. Your your proposal represents you, um, you know, at that point. So yeah, it needs to look branded. It needs to look dope if you're going for that, you know, that cool brand. If you're going for, I mean, you could have various templated proposals. And, and tailor it to that brand. You know, th this, is, this is very similar to a, a job application or an interview process where, you know, resume, you want right? to... Yeah, you want to make sure that that brand or business knows that you want to work with them. It's not just, even though I totally recommend some templated proposals to, to work from, but tailor it to that client. You know, make sure, make sure you're assertive about the fact that you want to work with them. You know, it's not just a, if, if you do, that is, but it's not just a, you're another number in the file 
No, I am here to work with your brand for these reasons, you know, but to, and also to Ian's point, you know, make, make sure it's branded, you know, make sure it, it's consistent with your other marketing materials, with your website, make sure there's a, a that can, that brand consistency, right? You want it to match all of those things. Uh, but again, you want it, you want it to be targeted at that client. Yeah, that there's, um, I would say artificial intelligence or programs that are out there. And this podcast in no way or means is sponsored by any program or uh, business. And we, we want to but um, I found I found talking about proposals, there's this like proposal builder. Yeah, better proposals.io man like that thing is pretty, pretty incredible how with a few couple clicks, you can win more business and get paid faster with like a whole integrated platform of delivering your proposal with like really beautiful designs and easy to use, you know, um, created in minutes instead of like actually going through the whole process or the hours of, you know, there's a lot that goes into it and and please get legal advice and, and do all that legwork. But there are programs out there that can help put you in a better position for you know, free or, or little money, you know, bro, that's the name of the game too, man. Automating that, like automating the, the fucking boring, you know, the make your eyes bleed administrative exactly. stuff, because I mean, again, as a creative, it is yep. not my favorite part of what we do, but it's vital. And, and yep. again, if you want the ideal client or your dream clients, you have to have these in place so that they don't, you know, disintegrate into that nightmare client that you don't want to work with. So again, it's the onus is on us to still still think outside the box, even with your proposal, right? For sure. Yeah. How, how can you get memorable. that attention? Yeah. Yep. So, yep. I, I think like we're saying too, just like it, it has to be pertaining directly to that client. So do some research before, you know, it's so easy just to Google somebody like any brand. If you get, you know, hit up for a, a, a brand project, just look at their, I mean, you can go so deep as looking what they are earning, you know, so that you can get a better idea of what your pricing should be. Because if you're the one that's putting out a low number and then you sign on that, that is on you. That is on you a hundred percent. You've left money on the table. But if you've you know done some research and you've figured out, well, these guys can probably afford this, and then you overbid, which I would definitely recommend. You know, not all the time, but like favor your your creative abilities and also favor the possibility that somebody wants to pay you money more than you think. Worst that's going to happen is they're going to tell you to go down, or you know, I, if you're professional enough, you you may have a method of. Um, negotiating that's beyond those terms but um yeah i think the research is is boring stuff but it's what leans in and, and gets you those higher those higher bids won yeah and in the mousetrap that is underbidding you know yeah <laughs> yeah man it, every and again that's something everybody's done I've, I've completely underbid before and found out later too like just I don't you know just through the grapevine or you know somebody on the team is like dude that you, we had money left over and been like fuck what you know and it just takes that experience to get to that point but don't you know don't make it a regular thing because then then you're stuck then you're the cheap guy 
you don't know nobody wants to be the cheap guy pinned down at that price point it it the, it translates into retail too if if you're the the brand or you know business that's always giving discounts you become the discount guy you you become you, people you know so associate label you yeah yeah they associate your brand with discounted or with lesser than and that's that's not where you want to be. Um, plus, you're leaving money on the table, like you said. And you know, you get pinned down at that lower price point, um, and then all of the the deals that you could have had um, and could have made more money. You know, so not not the deficit, not zero, but in the black, making more money from those projects. You've left that all on the table to be you know wiped away. Yeah, or even worse, when you're trying to make that next step to actually get paid more, you're kind of the cheaper guy and you're going to have a harder transition to actually, you know, take that next step. So it's it's a tough it's a tough battle to price yourself low. But before we talk about pricing to a client, we have to first learn how to sell to a client, right, Kerry? Yeah, I mean, and you know, selling to a client again for me is is all about the building of a relationship with, with a prospective client, you know, so first, how, how do you get to those clients? You know, I think that's, that's a big question. Uh, we've all kind of used different methods, I think, to, uh, create, you know, generate leads for clients or to, you know, get into contact with the, the people that we'd like to work with ideally. And for me, a lot of that has been, uh, my own personal network in the beginning, you know, identifying, channels that I wanted to work in specifically, and then reaching out to contacts that I had in those channels. Um, and then eventually, you know, more word of mouth spreads and things like that, but it, or running, you know, running ads and, and getting real clear about who your, who that ideal client is and, and targeting those types of clients through ads. Um, but in any case, once you've gotten in front of the client, you begin that process of kind of selling the client and and trying to because we're always as creatives we're always selling our service our products um and 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 once we get in front of those those clients how do we begin the relationship how do we get in the begin the process of winning that business i i was just thinking of something it's like right now we're talking about getting into the process of selling to clients mm-hmm mm. That term, the terminology of selling, mm-hmm. it fucks shit up in our head. <laughs> yeah. Think about it. We hate being sold to. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's also like it's it's like starting the therapy to the client, you know? It's like mm-hmm. beginning the therapeutic analyze session or you you're trying to find out now what this diagnosis is to then prescribe your client your solution right mm-hmm. so instead Absolutely. of thinking as in, instead of thinking oh i have to sell it's like mm, wait a second mm-hmm. listen to your client ask those questions because a doctor you don't go to a doctor and you're like all right you need a penicillin and this and this and this and you're out the door get the fuck out no he asks you questions where does it hurt blah 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 gets your diagnosis and then after a good analysis and assessment gets you on your way with the appropriate doses and prescription, right? So I think we should doctor our our own our own way to sell to clients into a more let's let's now converse and talk to these people that are also human and they want to get something done and creatively. 
let's let's do it that way. Yeah, speak, speaking to somebody in a nurturing kind of method is is certainly better than being sold to. And I think you just come off as desperate, thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> like chill, like you it's like you're you're going to get paid and like don't like I think that's what we're getting to. It's like it's about getting the money and even when there's things that are underbid and like it's not that they're hiding it from you. It's not like these people are trying to get you at the lowest dollar more than likely, but they need to be molded and spoken to like a human and understand that I'm here to fulfill the needs you have in the creative realm. They, they don't know your profession. Yeah, they don't know your profession, right? They don't, they don't fully understand your profession. They know you make videos. They know you make stunning websites. They know you make awesome logos and, and beautiful photography, but they don't really understand your profession and what it takes to actually do those things. So you have to educate your client as well. And that's part of the relationship building process. And that's why they're talking to you in the first place is because they, they have a need, they have a pain point. There's an area of their business where they need help from a professional to address and to create a, a, a resolution for an issue, a, a pain point that they're having. So, you know, in my experience, and this is almost always the case, is people want to tell you about those things. They want, they want somebody else who has some understanding, right? They want somebody else who has some understanding to be able to shoulder some of that burden and do some of the legwork to help them create a, a resolution or a solve to the problem that they have. So again, when, when, when speaking to a client, when trying to nurture that client, ask them, ask them about that pain point and let them tell you how you can help. They're going to, they're going to tell you what you need to do in order to meet their need or, or meet their expectation. And that's part of the, the nuance and the beauty of this process is like Ian was saying, you know, it's not cars sells many. It's it's building it's relationship building and it's it's hearing them out and letting them tell you how you can be of service. But what 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 would be an example of a response of a car sales mini creative that if a client comes to him and says, um, Hey Carrie, how you doing? Um, I need a new logo. What would that response of that creative Right off the bat, th this is it. It's it's me, me, me instead of you, you, you. So if somebody if somebody was like, Carrie, I hear you make great logos. What can you do for me? I'd be like, Well, I've made logo for ba ba ba, and I've made logo for this company, and you know, yeah, and I've yeah. I've had you know, I've gotten awards, and I've me, me, me. That's what a car salesman would do. Uh, a a creative professional who wants that fucking business might say something to the effect of. Well, let's start with who, like, who is your brand? Introduce me to your brand so I can get an idea of who I'm making a logo for. You know, uh, they their answer would probably probably be something to the effect of, "Well, I'm not sure how to introduce you to my brand," and that's where you get to start being the professional because you can say, "Oh, do yeah. do you have you know a brand look and feel? Do you, you know do you have some guidelines that determine the messaging for your brand?" And they're like, "Nope, nope, nope." What you've just done is created p pain points now that they weren't even aware of that you can help them address, which is opening opening up doors to new business with that client. And you're three minutes into the conversation. Yeah. You just opened a can of whoop ass. 
absolutely absolutely <laughs> for sure I, I think too like what while we're talking on that subject of like building this relationship and while it is pretty hands-on that is another method or another approach that can also somewhat be templatized to a degree that's that's a form that they fill out and and just the questions that Carrie's saying like tell me a little bit more about your brand because I mean it mm -hmm. is exhausting to hear about somebody's brand and their baby and you know all this mm -hmm. over and over so what you want to do is be empathetic to that but in a mechanized way so that you can intake the information and give them what they mm -hmm. want to hear genuinely but in in a efficient manner because you're going to get a lot of people that are going to tell you they're like Carrie and, and Manny are saying it's like people just want to tell you about their brand and they they think it's so cool um, so be prepared to intake all that information, use it as well as you can to give them the, the right answers and hopefully open up a couple doors for you to give your suggestions and, you know, plant the seed of, Hey, I got some other ideas that could, you know, benefit the brand and maybe, um, you know, give you yeah, some, good, some good questions to ask would be like, what's driving this request? You know, what business objective are you trying to solve? Uh, mm -hmm. what's getting in the way of this? What challenges or obstacles do we need to overcome? How can we overcome these obstacles? You know, and the, just finding out those things. And once you start asking those questions, the more they open their doors to like, oh, this person actually really wants to help and can really provide right. a professional assessment to what I need. And then you hit them like at the end, you, you basically summarize your information, you capture their goals. What's the gap? You, you have a solution and you have the metrics to do it. You know, you just follow up with your... I'll follow up with a bitter proposal on so-and-so date that reflects the scope of the budget that we discussed. And does this sound right to you? You know, once you have this conversation, it's, it's going to be a natural thing. Absolutely. And it's, again, this is kind of a, um, a self-evaluation part of it too, when it comes to selling a client, I, I think, you know, what works best for, for you as, an individual. So again, Ian mentioned having that kind of questionnaire uh, in a format where you can shoot it over to a person and just get that raw data, right? And and that makes it very easy to work with in, in your process internally from an administration standpoint. But when I'm when it comes to selling a client for me, I take the I take the phone call route. And that's again, that's just me personally is uh, the the person I am in, in my creative element, um, once I get that person on the phone, that's, an, for me, that's an opportunity. And also, Ian, I may be kind of off base here too because uh, we talked a little bit about our processes personally and I think that questionnaire was just kind of a first, you know, it's one of the first things that you send out. Yeah, but I, I think you're on the right track though in the sense of like, I actually am not a great phone, like con like direct conversation person. And uh, what you're saying too is like there are various methods to sell, and it's it should be organic to your personality, to a degree, because then it it truly, right? It truly shows you, or shows the client like who you're going to be, who you're going to be interacting with. Because if you come up fake later on, you're you're going to have to act that way the entire time. You know, and you, you and that leads down that path of creating the nightmare client because now you're faking who you are truly. Like I, I think that's a really good point to make of like sell what you feel is comfortable 
in a professional manner because it it really resonates. It feels it just feels I truthful. I can attest to you know, that. When you, being genuine, it makes you memorable, even like just by being genuine. You know, you don't necessarily have to be have to say some smart shit or like do something crazy. If you are a genuine person and you reflect that. That all like that little thing can be the memorable thing also that you do, you know? Yeah, and people, especially now, can can sniff out things that aren't authentic. Oh, and, yeah. and if if you are not being authentic with a client at its base, you're a fucking liar. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Straight up, bro. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I just like how quickly <laughs> at its so base. Clear. You're a fucking liar. Base, that's how a client's going to think of you, man. If if you're being inauthentic and you're playing a role and they see through that, you have been dishonest with that person. That you have you have been lying. And and if <laughs> who wants to work with a liar? You know what I mean? Pe- yeah, nobody yeah, nobody wants to work with People want to work liars. with people they like, people they're comfortable with, people who are honest and upfront with them. That that's who people want to work with. People don't want to work with liars. Um, it, it reminds me of um, the book Influence uh, by Robert uh, Robert Cialdini. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the name. Yeah, the book is called Influence. Uh, so when I was in, I, I did a, a few years at the Art Institute here in San Diego and I was in the advertising program. Uh, and one of the professors there turned me on to Robert Cialdini in this book, um, influence and it's just a not only a fantastic read uh but it covers the seven principles of influence that uh you can use when you're in a selling type of situation um but some of those liking the liking principle is one that he covers in that book and it basically says that people want to work with people they like and the the way you get somebody to like you is to make them feel good about themselves so again it's taking the focus off of you and putting it on them. Um, another principle he covers is the the principle of reciprocity. You know, if you front load value uh, in an interaction with somebody, they feel like they need to reciprocate with value because that's, you know, because you've provided that value up front. So uh, the, the principle of scarcity, right? You know, I'm, well, we better get you in soon because I'm actually kind of, booked up, you know, for, for the next couple of weeks and I've got a couple of day windows and we can get you in there, you know, and we can do this, but we've got to, you know, so there are some principles that you can use as, as tactics when you're, when you're selling a, a client too. Um, and if you haven't, I highly recommend looking into that, that book influenced by Robert Cialdini. It's, it's a game changer. Yeah. I really like those, um, those tactics, uh, that you're saying from, from that book, Carrie. And I, I think, a, a tactic or a practice we can also use to transition into methods of losing a client is um, patience. And if you, when I was starting out really early on, I definitely lacked the patience and the um, methodology of allowing people the time to breathe. You know, sometimes you're dealing with like really large sums of money to accomplish this goal. And the person you're dealing with may not have the answer directly themselves. They have to work with their team, et cetera. So having that patience just shows the professionality of your business and who you are. 
And I think in getting better in that has allowed myself personally to land larger bids uh, accompanied with these other tactics. Um, Absolutely. And and one other question I would ask if, if you do find yourself being impatient, because I think I was the same way, Ian, you know, I, I was kind of waiting for that answer. And, you know, I was real. Yeah, for sure. What are you what are you doing in the meantime? You know, what, inst instead of sitting there white knuckling it and, and waiting for a response. And if it is the check, that's a little different, you know, waiting on that final payment. Sometimes it's hard to avoid that anxiety. But but what are you doing in, in the meantime? You know, what what could you be doing to line up, you know, get another project lined up in the pipeline or or another means of getting that income in the meantime? You know, just something to consider. Definitely. Another 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 point, like touching up on patience and stuff like that, that could also during this communication phase of like in between uh, back and forth with clients, you can with no patience, you can make assumptions on some part of the project instead of asking your client and that could be a big no, no, right? Like mm -hmm. that's definitely bad. And, and on these points to losing clients over promising and under delivering is mm -hmm. one that comes top of head most of the times. What do you guys, yeah. what do you think, Harry, on that one? I personally, I always try to over deliver, you know, it, it's just, that it, I, if I can, if I can do that little bit of extra, I think that gives me a degree of separation between me and competitors that, you know, obviously I want to stay within the scope of work and everything I set out in the beginning with that client. But if I can do a little bit better job than, you know, that I, I never want to do the minimum standard, but if I can do just a little bit better, I think that gives me that degree of separation and, and makes me stick out in my client's mind. Uh, so I always try to do that. But, you know, as far as over promising, I don't think that you should ever over promise on with a client. But I do think that you should challenge yourself. So the reason the reason I say that is because I have I have said yes to things that I wasn't 100% prepared for or maybe I didn't have 100% of the knowledge about what all would go into it, but I committed to it and then was able to make it happen. And then I picked up a, a high value skill set in the process. And I was also able to meet the needs of that client. That I say that to say that I've also had the opposite experience right. where I've <laughs> recently <laughs> where I've <laughs> straight up, man, I, I committed to a thing that I thought were within my capacity, you know, and my skill set. Mm -hmm. And I misjudged some of those variables and it failed miserably, you know, and it, it was one of the worst experiences I've, I've had on set with a client. Um, and I was able to, because I was so focused on facilitating and nurturing that relationship with that client, I was able to show up the next day after we had a monumental failure with equipment and a service that we were using um, for this project. I was able to come back in the next day, take ownership of the failure that had occurred and provide a next steps you know, uh, suggest next steps to not only do the pro, not only complete the project, but to make it better than it would have been had we done, had the initial attempt succeeded. So 
again, I, that's a long explanation for a very short question, Manny, but I, I don't believe in overpromising. If, if you overpromise, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're making failure the standard and you have to overshoot failure in order to deliver. But if you commit to something and you truly believe it's within your capacity uh, and within your limitations, um, I say commit and over deliver on that thing. If you have the balls to do it, do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know your your capabilities. Like you, yeah. you know what you're able to pull off in the sense of something you haven't done before. Right, you you, mm -hmm. you know your confidence level, and you can boost that up. But it's also a knowledge thing, you know, like yeah. that we're we're in a creative experience field, yeah, too. an experience thing. And like, had you not done those things, Carrie, like you, you're right, you would have never gained that super vital experience of learning something, and also developing kind of like a thicker skin of like mm -hmm. we're uh, we're in a creative world, like nothing is set science to an extent, like. You go. We go in. We make something out of you know light and and you know people and etc. And it becomes a product. Like that's yeah. in itself pretty crazy. So how the hell did that come into be without people just going out there and being like, yeah, you stand there. I'm gonna put the camera at you. The light's gonna hit you like this. And yeah, I think it's gonna work. <laughs> you and know. We're, and we're gonna click the red button. And then boom. You know, movie's made. <laughs> you, you've got it. You've got to have a high risk. Uh, a high tolerance for risk. It 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 ha it has to be there. Um, but you can't go gambling a project on something that that you have no idea about. You know, it, it if you do that, the likelihood of failure and the the likelihood that you're gonna screw up that relationship you've been so working so hard to build with that client is gonna be very high. That that percentage is gonna be very high, um, and that's just not a good thing. But one one thing real quick about what you said, Ian, is that you have to be honest with yourself about your capabilities and about your limitations. There is no room for like ego and arrogance in that equation. It's like, what do you um, know? Like, do you know like that you can handle this or that you have like the right gear there? It's just you're, like you're right. saying, like, know it to your know about yourself and, and what you're capable of before. And you know, if you can be confident about it. Yeah, the, yeah. The mo most of the times, like when you put you when you like Carrie says, when you commit and you put that foot forward in a solid stride, you're most likely going to be in a better step, right? Yeah, people yeah. Yeah. definitely feel or can read that as well. Like I imagine that that instance you had, and then you coming back and like stating what occurred, like mm -hmm. only helped the, the strengthen that bond because like, oh man, he's like trying to do things beyond not scope, but what he expected to occur and is going to man up to it and we'll just make it again, you know? It's yeah, and, and the, the, that was a part of the end result, hands down. Like, yeah. because we had that honest evaluation, that honest conversation about what happened and we made the necessary uh, fixes for, for the issues we had, the end result of that project was a massive success. The, it, after the after the massive failure, and once we came back and uh, kind of reevaluated and attacked it again, it was a massive success. But it took that it took that smaller failure first to 
get to the other side to to get to the point where we were like okay now we've worked out the bugs we've worked out the kinks and we're good to go and then we were able to have a successful successful version of that first run um so versus having versus having a nightmare situation just Mm -hmm. go even way Way worse to the hellhole being like ignoring the client's needs and then going radio silent not hearing any feedback and acting like they were the ones that were fucked up no that they can go it all depends on your mindset too yep and losing out on any future prospect of doing business with that person again which is you know not what we want especially for our good clients you know we want to keep working with our good clients so we don't want to lose our good. <laughs> so what else, what else, you know, what else are we talking about, Manny, when it comes to losing or, or how not to lose clients, I guess? Uh, well, I, I touched on those, like ignoring the client's needs that you didn't do, like just touching your points on that, you know? Um, and one that we missed is um, basically like m- missing deadlines or, or just being late for meetings, like not those type of things. It's like just the communication aspect of things you have to keep in touch you have to be aware you have to keep keep up to date keep up with the relationship you know yeah i think that's a really i mean all these small things that seem so like minuscule to somebody else you've never met before giving you money and again for something that's like not necessarily a physical asset is it's they're taking a risk so like give them the benefit of the doubt hit hit those deadlines uh, if you set a deadline, especially if they set a deadline, you know, maybe there's there's some negotiation there that you've developed in your contract or uh, whatever. But um, yeah, I think those those little things can um, certainly lead to creating a nightmare client or down the path of, you know, parting ways. Yeah, it's like it's like creating a standard for yourself that matches the expectation of your ideal clients. Right. Who, who, who do they, based on what you've found out and what you know about that client, who do you think they want to work with? Okay. Are you that person? No. What do you need to do to become that person? Or if you are that person, start figuring out how to get in front of them. You know, do, do you have network connections that can, you know, get you a meeting with somebody who can introduce you to the marketing manager, you know, find, if, if you do match that expectation, start finding ways to get in the door. If you don't, then, you know, maybe start implementing some of the things we've talked about today, which is, you know, branded proposals, all, all these other things, right? It's almost like you're applying that uh, reverse analysis on your own business before you approach the big client, the good client, right? You, it's like, let me make sure I got all these things covered and then let me see uh, to contact this it's definitely reverse engineering. It's, it's to, who, who do I want to work with? Okay. Now what do I need to have in place for me in order to get in front of that person and to win, win that client. Right? So guys, once you found and done your reverse engineering tactic of analyzing how to get in front of these good clients, uh, how do we, how do we find out pricing or how do we, you know, talk about pricing? with them. Yeah, that's I, I think pricing is such a hard ordeal to go through again in the creative process because you're never really sure sometimes when you're first starting out what your your price points should be. You're seeing other people out there and their price points may seem like insane and that you could never reach those price points, but you know, it 
it's certainly a journey that all of us go on as creatives in the sense that don't don't feel negative that your price points may be low, lower when you first start out because that's just natural. It, it, again, if you think you're going to come out the door hot, like making what the the top professionals are, that's a that's a little bit overzealous. Um, I, I think for for my experience was um, doing research, looking at how others were handling pricing was helpful, and then also just looking at what work I was producing um, and that compared to other people the same caliber of work is is always a good kind of like first step like look at who's in your your realm and then maybe a little bit above you and and, and if they have prices available you know maybe start pricing comparably there, there's certainly market research out there to to view online about uh, price points for video and photography and but it's an individual journey I would say yeah and you mentioned something earlier Ian about you know letting uh, letting your work speak for for itself when you when you're uh, courting clients or uh, when you're trying to find that ideal client and you know I think w when I started out I worked for free you know I, I I reached out to contacts who had a need uh, for what I was doing which at the time was you know digital media production and, and videography and photography and things like that um, and I went out there and tried to make the best version of what I was doing at the time that I could for those people so that I would then have work you know a portfolio some some assets to shop around to other prospective clients and actually tried to get paid for that work right and then um, that and again starting at those super low price points you know where I, I was gonna get the yes from that person because it it was just too much value to say no to but you know after you've after you've done that a little while and, and really honed in the craft and uh, you've gotten some work lined up for yourself then you have to start accounting for other factors in in your pricing right um, because your work is going to change it's going to improve you're going to get more efficient it's going to take you less time to do um, so all of these things are Will, will become factors that you have to start thinking about with pricing. But again, I the market also began to dictate my pricing in the beginning as well. It was, you know, I was getting a lot of yeses in the beginning because my price point was very low. And then as my work began to improve and I got more efficient in the software and was able to add different elements, I started to raise my prices. And I got to a point where people were not willing to pay that price for my work. And that's where I, that's when I knew that I was kind of at the right place where I was still, I was still getting, you know, people were like, yeah, this is great. You know, we're, we're in, but there were also people who were like, I was starting to weed out some of those bad clients, right. Where they were like, eh, you know, that's a little high for me. I might, you know, could, blah, blah, blah. And that's where you refer them to somebody else who is maybe still at that level where they're just trying to get guys in the door. Right. So you can, again, that pro move where you, I personally can't, you know, help you with this project, but I can refer you to a guy who's a specialist in this or, or whatever. Um, so the, the market will have a role to play in, in your pricing too, um, especially in those beginning stages. Yeah. Working, working for free as a door opener for your journey, there's nothing wrong about that, but also learn how to like kind of not always work for free, find that experience, gain that value. And, and then from there, you know, work on your, I would call it your set floor price. 
And then from there have that base where where it's like, all right, nothing, nothing lower than this. <laughs> and then you keep moving, right? Yeah, yeah. I think sticking to some type of standard once you've established um, what that is, 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 is vital because then you, and, and also, you're, you know, taking very adequate records of like, once you've established your business and uh, work, working with, yeah, yeah, worked with a, a bunch of clients or a few clients, you can see, you can monitor and track the growth. You know, two years ago, I was charging so-and-so amount for this. And now just, you know, factoring, like we're saying, the market, economy, gear being added, you can look back and say, well, if it was that then, then it definitely shouldn't be that now. There has to be an increase. And that's not the, the, who are you justifying that to? Yourself. Like you don't have to show that to anybody, but yeah, your measurable growth gives you, I think, strength in, in being able to throw out that big number and being like, yeah, I'm not just making this up. I, I, this is something that is from an equation, um, like it or not, that's, that's what I've measured. So, um, you know, you want to have some, some logic backing up those points besides other people's notions um, that's developed through, you know, monitoring growth and, and process. Through time, through expertise, and through having a process where you did your small steps all the time until you got to mastering your pricing or your, you know, your whole process. So it, it's all a matter of, like you said, patience. And what's the, what's the potential value that a client stands to gain based off of the work that you deliver? I think that's another, you know, another massive question. If if you're if you're charging fifteen hundred two thousand dollars for a creative campaign that's gonna yield hundreds of thousands of dollars for your client, you may need to reevaluate your pricing for that client, right? So. Again, there's there's a case by case um, variable here too, where you need again when you research that client and when you learn more about the project that they're bringing you on for, um, and it comes time to quote them, try to again reverse engineer how how much do they stand to to make from your work, and because that should be considered when you're when you're putting together that pricing for them as well. I mean, they're, they're certainly thinking about that, right? Like yeah. They, yeah. They're, they're thinking about what their percentage is that they're going to make off your product. The so ROI. yeah, mm -hmm. what's their, what's their return on interest? It, this is business investment. So, or, or yeah, uh, investment. So be cognizant of that and the value, like Carrie's saying of your work, because mm -hmm. not that they're taking advantage of it uh, again, but, they will use it to the best of their ability. So yeah, they want the best deal. They want the best like, deal like anybody yeah. in the world does. So like right. get the best deal for yourself because nobody's going to fight for you if you don't you know, stand up for yourself either. And, Absolutely. And all you're doing on communicating that best deal on that ROI and letting them know that 10% of their return will make them hundreds of thousands of dollars and it will cost them 20,000 rather than 2000 what you were charging. Yeah. You just made 18 more thousand dollars because you pro you really analyzed and assessed your client to find out what they needed, you know, and, and you're just backing up their points. You know what I mean? <laughs> and honestly, if if you're working with a client that has 
um, that kind of budget or they're running a, a campaign of that size, chances are they have that tolerance for that level of fee. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I've, you know, I've worked with some brands who were, who were prepared to put that kind of money behind the, you know, behind the advertising that we created. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, to, to, for media placement for the creative, you know, if, if they're, if they've got that kind of budget for deploying of the media, they've got some, some bandwidth for the production. So, you know, yeah. So just keep, yeah, I would definitely keep that in mind. And again, that's all about the, the, the evaluation you, that you do up front about your client. Right. Correct. Um, yeah. Cause I think a good client understands that too. You're right. For uh, sure. Maybe a not so professional client or bad client would, would try to take advantage of that and be like, well, we just want to get the most ROI on this as possible. Whereas a good client gets that. And like, we're saying like a hundred thousand dollar campaign, $5,000 is a drop in the bucket. Like yeah. for them, that's, it's not that much. So like, even if your work is, you don't feel is that valuable, it is to somebody like, mm -hmm. you know, take advantage of that um, or else the money's left on the table, you know, and that's, oh, that's such a bad feeling. It makes me yeah. cringe every time I think of that possibly happening. <laughs> yeah. And one other rookie thing that I, that I did, I, I had a, a pretty negative experience when I was first getting started is, you know, account account for all of your, and this goes back to your meticulous record keeping, Ian, always account for your expenses first and, and build from there because, you know, I, when I was first starting out, I didn't know that, you know, budgets were allocated to projects and, and things like that. I, I wasn't thinking about accounting for all of my expenses first. I was just thinking about that top, top line dollar amount that I was, you know, charging that client. So, and there um, was much more business aspects that, that you oh, were missing yeah. out on. Right. And then oh, man. later yeah. they come back to bite in the ass. It's like, Oh, well, you remember about these. <laughs> right. Yeah. Charges. And, you know, just don't what, what I'm saying is don't dig into your own margin to facilitate a project for a client. Make sure all of those expenses are covered up front and make sure the client and be transparent with the client about those things to Ian's point, you know, being meticulous about, you know, record keeping and having line items that are expenses for you and being transparent with those things to the client that that's all, you know, those are all best practices, you know, and, and a good way to have all that covered hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, again, thinking at like the corporate level of, you know, bidding out for things, that's why I always say overbid because mm -hmm. a lot of these, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in um, budget dollars for these projects, like it's also overbid. Sometimes they don't even use all that money. Like they're just doing it as a safety precaution for their yourself themselves. So why shouldn't you, right? Mm -hmm. Like shit happens, you, you know, you have to buy these things that didn't come into play and maybe it's covered again by your contract, your proposal, but maybe it's not. And now you're stuck fronting that bill. You're fucked. Like you are now, right the worst place you can be in is in a project that's not a passion project is making zero or you know yeah. <laughs> oh god yeah, losing absolutely. money yeah you know then then you got a, a real problem but um I think we've all you know, kind think, of encountered some of those yeah, yeah. definitely yeah well your you know in, investment of your time you know investment of your equipment and resources you if you get paid zero then you are negative 
you know, you have you have lost money because you've For you've sure. invested your time, which is worth valuable. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's unmeasurable. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, as far as, you know, homework assignment for this episode, like go get influenced by Robert Cialdini and read it. And it, it's going to one, blow your mind. Uh, but two, there are some perspective shifts that happened for me in that book um, that really were, you know, took me leaps and bounds ahead of where I was as far as, you know, being able to uh, influence a, a decision or, you know, influence a, a client to to move them from the consideration of working with me to saying yes to um, a, a project. So, man, influenced by Robert Cialdini, it's a game changer. I think I would add uh, having a good filtration system set in place or having that process, thinking about those methods that you can implement into your own service um, format questionnaire, if it's a form, if it's your if it's your call, uh, cold calling, you know, method like Carrie likes to do, um, it, the, everyone has their own way, you know. So just mm -hmm. refine those skills of of get having these contracts. It, I think Ian, you were mentioning it only costs like fifty dollars on Fiverr to get a licensed yeah. contract, you know. <laughs> so why not put those things in place, especially with things like COVID happening, liability. We didn't really mm -hmm. touch on this, but there is a big, big segment into going back to work and being uh you know liability your liability and all these waivers have to be as an amendment or addendums in your contract so that's a big mm -hmm. thing look into that we have yeah, we can, I, we, can I we can we can drop some links as well um if you guys reach out directly and we can give you some great insight and pdfs that the industry has been launching to, uh, to us and sharing because we're all a community we're all here to help each other and to produce better things together yeah for sure there's a lot of assets out there that i've definitely found uh, that we could put up um yeah i think for takeaways i really like the concept of forming this avatar for your perfect client i think that's a, a really good starting point um being able to look at yourself and say, who do I want to work with? Even if you're just starting, it's a really good um, launch pad for you to set up that profile of, well, I want to do this type of video. And it can be anything. It could be, I want to do wedding videos. Well, like, what does the perfect bride look like? I want to do music videos. Who's the perfect artist look like? I just want to do conferences. Well, how does that conference look to your perfect uh, client? You know, I think that's a really good step to take because it allows you to get on track right from the get-go and say, okay, it's it's only this segment, or if you wanna do it all even, then you can really um, separatize, separate out um, those those templates that you'll create and uh, make sure that you're approaching them in, in the right way because um, you don't want to start off all disorganized and, and not knowing what that avatar looks like because then that avatar just becomes jumbled up through you know the need for money and you're taking on clients at whatever whim and now you don't have that singular avatar that you can work towards um, where if you if you do it right off the bat you have a clear perspective goal um, and I think that's a, a pretty easy practice to do I mean I, I could form an avatar right now off of what my business was like when I started and it wasn't nearly as clear as it is now. Like I know who that person is. I know how then I could price out 
the bids that he'll give to me. And I actually pretty sure I know what his personality or her personality is going to be like to mesh with me best. So um, I'd say go out, you know, or not even go out, stay in, do that uh, at, uh, at home. It, it's, it, it's quite, it's a lot easier than one would think. Yeah. And just as kind of a closing thought here too, you know, I, I think it's important to cover again that a lot of times we create the nightmare clients by not implementing processes and not putting down clear guidelines in black and white to keep a, a project or a client on the rails. Um, and if we do those things, we can turn a client into a dream client because we've given, we've given them the framework to be our dream client, right? So I think it's important to remember that what we do and what we don't do can either create the nightmare client or turn a client into an ideal client. We have that power as the creative professional. Yeah, yeah, to, to piggyback on that, I, I totally agree. I think that's a, a great closing statement. This is, on, this is on you as a creative, as much as it is on the client. This is not a uh, us versus them. Yeah, you're, they're giving you money and you need to mold the relationship um, be prepared for that to be successful, to be um, a creative that's able to be professional and make money. No matter what, I think we can all agree, you have to be good at molding these relationships and just, you know, be honest and um, in your, your abilities. And uh, more than likely, you'll, you'll find that you'll get into a profitable um string of, of clients if, if you follow those guidelines to an extent. So, you know, if you guys want to hear more from the underexposure team here, uh, please check us out on Instagram at underexposure podcast or Facebook at underexposure podcast. Uh, we're also streaming on all major MP3 platforms and you can find us on YouTube as well at underexposure podcast. Uh, if you jump on YouTube and you want to see what our pretty faces look like and you know, our, <laughs> the, the places where we're filming, uh, check it out on YouTube, leave us a review there and subscribe. Uh, if there's anything you'd like to see us cover in the future episodes, uh, leave it in a comment. If there's something you saw that you liked, uh, call it out on, on, you know, the comment section on YouTube, um, and, and check us out there as well. Um, we have again, just a ton of fun and, you know, we get a ton of value out of doing these, uh, these podcasts with you guys. So we, we'd love to hear your feedback and, and hear what you think about, um, about what we're covering in the episodes. Yeah. More comments. Um, I'd love to see, some, I'd love to see some comments on people, you know, in the same situation and, or if they'd like to hear us talk about something or just for us to have like a round table about something I think would be really cool. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, post. absolutely. Yeah, keep keep that feedback coming in. Um, and for episode three of Underexposure, I'm Kerry Helton. Ian Harrington. And Manny Aqua. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Yeah.